Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all of the big subjects in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and I'm delighted to say Duncan Castles is also with me. We're in festive mood today because later we'll be awarding the donkey uh, in honour of uh, the British government's rather bad handling of the Christmas party scandal by bringing you the award for uh, the footballers' Christmas parties, which went wrong. However, we will be bringing you the news before it becomes news because that's what we do best. And we begin with what is certain to be the single biggest transfer potentially in the history of the game, one which we have been tracking throughout the last 18 months. But news has emerged here at Transfer Window Podcast regarding the terms being asked for for the move of Erling Haaland from Borussia Dortmund to a new club. It has been assumed and certainly widely reported that Real Madrid president Florentino Perez is determined and indeed goes to night goes to bed at night dreaming of uniting Kylian Mbappe with Haaland in a two up front extremely formidable formation. That may well still be the case. However, the financial terms which are being asked for with regards to the triumvirate of facets uh, in the deal, including the fee, the commission to, uh, of course, Mina Raiola, Haaland's agent, and his father, Alf Inga Haaland, as well as the players' 25 million euros per season salary, are formidable. And even though, as far as Madrid are concerned, Mbappe on a freedom of contract would mean only a salary and commission would make it more viable to put the two players together, it is our information, Duncan, that a world record or what would be a world record commission fee on a single transfer is being requested by Raiola and, of course, in cohorts with Alfinger Haaland, uh, Erling's father. We understand that sum to be around 55, that's five, five, 55 million euros just to transfer the player to his new club. That is a sum which Florentino Perez is bulking at. Uh, We've spoken to a senior figure at Real Madrid who has told us that uh, even Florentino uh, is looking at such a sum as exorbitant. And even though uh, Raiola's normal business practice, which is to um, take the commission up front, or indeed as he did with Paul Pogba's move to Manchester United in one instalment when the contract was signed, bearing in mind 
that normal business practice in football clubs and transfers is that commission payments are paid in instalments over the course of the contract signed, that Madrid would not only be unhappy and indeed uh, recalcitrant with regards to paying the 55 million euros total sum, but even uh, paying a initial instalment of 20 million euros plus the rest over the course of the contract, they would see as being potentially untenable in their current financial state. Now, Duncan, I know that uh, you have spoken to people at Madrid and people around the club who believe Madrid are in a strong financial position, having, let's just say, saved up their euros over the last three seasons, having not made huge signings. Um, this, however, does open the door, potentially, to other clubs, although, of course, there are not many candidates who can afford the total package, which would be in excess of €250 million, Euros, which would roll up the commission fee and the uh, the salary itself over a five year deal, um, and but the possibility that Madrid could miss out on Haaland is a realistic one. Uh, while they remain in the race, the only other two clubs potentially in the current financial climate who could possibly afford uh, all of those. Uh, demands um, for Haaland's signature would be both Manchester clubs and Madrid. Uh, and that would, of course, discount Barcelona, whose finances, as we know, are a total mess. Bayern Munich do not pay that kind of money to anyone either. So therefore, we have an interesting situation, do we not, Duncan, that this coming summer, that, that Haaland, um, of course given his goal-scoring prowess, his record, his statistics, will have a choice of three of the biggest clubs in the world game, even though, as you have reported on the podcast in the past, the player's preference is to go to the Spanish capital. I think you have to add Paris Saint-Germain to that list, um, particularly with the strong strong prospect that they lose Kylian Mbappe this summer and um, what better way for Paris Saint-Germain to extract and inflict some pain on on Madrid for as they see it stealing Mbappe from them um, than to stop Florentino Perez pairing Erling Haaland and Mbappe in the same team by signing or trying to sign Haaland as the replacement for Mbappe um, using their unlimited financial prowess to meet the terms that uh, that Haaland Sr. and more importantly Mino Raiola are asking. And remember, Mino Raiola has an exceptionally good working relationship with Paris Saint-Germain and, and has extracted a lot of money and commissions from them in, in recent seasons. So I, I wouldn't discount them. It is, it's a fascinating scenario because Real Madrid held talks with Haaland's, uh, the duo, and Raiola in the summer. Um, they got what they describe as a gentleman's agreement that Haaland would come to them uh, in this coming summer. Um, they know that the 
the the, the transfer fee is defined and the 75 million euro release clause he has at Borussia Dortmund. Um, they are, of course, um, sceptical and cautious when it comes to dealing with Mino Raiola. So one person involved in this said to me, we have a gentleman's agreement, but we're not entirely sure that Mino Raiola is a gentleman. Um, so they are themselves monitoring what is happening here. Perez's position is he believes the player is convinced and the player wants to come. Therefore, he thinks he has negotiating room on the commission. And um, you're right to say that Madrid do not like paying high commissions. They've actually moved in recent years to a, a kind of slightly flex flexible but basic policy of we pay 5% commission on it, on the transfer fee and we stagger it over the, the length of the contract. Um, and only for exceptional deals do we go above that amount and we certainly don't want to be paying record commissions. Raiola would be breaking his own record if he manages to get 55 million euros um, in commission for Haaland, um, record he established with Paul Pogba where he took over 40 million pounds um, in commission combined with a, a percentage he had on a, a transfer fee above a set level that he agreed with Juventus when he brought Pogba to Juventus from Manchester United um, out uh, on a, a training compensation deal. Um, I think you only have to look at Raiola's own public statements to see what his mentality is about this deal. He is not shy about talking about having the whip hand here. Um, he gave a, an interview this week where he talked about what he was thinking for Haaland. He said, we have clear ideas about where Erling should go. And of course, we look at what the market has to offer. I would be a bad advisor if I didn't. We can influence the market with a player like Errol. We are not influenced by the market. We know this. So he's emphasizing the power he feels he has. And then going on to say, I changed the transfer market with my players. We agents have created a second game alongside football, Calcio Mercato. Um, now we talk about a game two days a week and five days a week about transfers. So he's, he is in a position where he feels he has the biggest asset in football. He has that defined release clause, so he doesn't have to worry about the transfer fee, which is obviously um, reasonable, extremely reasonable for a player who has performed in the fashion Haaland has so far in his career and, and at the age he is at. And that gives him the room to uh, see which of the super clubs will pay Haaland the salary they're looking for. Um, and the figure mooted there has been 30 million net. And then the monster commission on top. And and I think it's pretty clear that he will run this game as far as he can um, and use the answers and offers he's getting from those various clubs to get the best financial deal and then try and convince Haaland to go with that best financial deal. Um, He's got the, the father on side in this. Um, and uh, he, yeah, I think Ryle is enjoying this. The pizza, the pizza man is looking forward to his biggest slice ever and uh, he's going to make the most out of, of this uh, market activity. This is surely not 
a case of a slice dunk and this must be the entire pizza the entire pizza <laughs> factory <laughs> it has to be Pizza Express <laughs> you'd be able to buy them <laughs> with the commission he gets off of Alan's transfer that's for sure um, what about the this this notion though as well I mean Haaland is a very young player uh, to be commanding this kind of salary and obviously you know we don't um, in any way denigrate the talent that he has nor his um, value in terms of demanding such a large amount uh, first of all uh, this will not be by any stretch of the imagination his last contract if it were the case that his preference to go to Madrid um, were not realised, then playing for four or five years at a different club, as you have mentioned, Paris Saint-Germain, possibly an English Premier League at one of the two Manchester clubs, you will still have the opportunity to go to Madrid. And also, one of the things that I uh, discussed with someone close to um the conversations in terms of Haaland and where he goes next uh, was that um, he doesn't necessarily want to play in a two with Mbappe, uh, although, of course, I'm, I'm sure anyone would want to play alongside Mbappe, but at the same time sharing that limelight. And, of course, this is a problem that we saw, which ended up in Neymar leaving Barcelona because he didn't want to be second fiddle and in Leo Messi's shadow. I, th I think there is a factor there if you are thinking on Haaland's behalf that you want to make him the top player in the world and be perceived as a top player in the world. Is it better to be separated from Mbappe who's also angling for that title? Um or is it better to be in the same team? And, and I think while Florentino Perez is desperate to sign him, it's pretty, it's very clear that Mbappe is the first choice. So you would, if you're assessing that situation and worried about that, that factor of um, being perceived as the world's number one player, and you don't have the self confidence, which I'm not saying Haaland lacks that you're going to outscore Mbappe if you're in the same team, um, then it would make more sense to pick another club and be the be the star man at the other club. Um, I think if you go for Paris Saint-Germain, you have to factor in that they will want a five-year contract and Paris Saint-Germain will hold them to that five-year contract. That, that has been clearly demonstrated. Qatar do not sell players, regardless of whether it makes sporting, or financial sense against their will. So if they take Haaland for five years, they expect to have him for five years. So that that means five years in French football. Um, that means a perception around you that you are only performing or only being challenged to perform when you play in the Champions League. And do you want to go along with that stage of his career? Obviously, he would be very comfortable in the Premier League. Um, linguistically, culturally, and, and you would say his football looks like a very good fit to the Premier League if um, he chooses to go in that direction. I think it's harder um, to get the money he's looking for from the Glazers um, 
if he goes to Manchester United, you have the whole issue of what happened with Cristiano Ronaldo. How do they set up the formation, albeit that Ralph Ranić at the moment is has shifted to a, a double striker formation in order to keep Ronaldo in the team and, and play the kind of high press, high intensity football he wants. So there is a, is a possibility, but it, it would limit tactical options if they go along with what Ronaldo would want and what the Glazers would want, which is Ronaldo being in that team and being the, the central figure within it. Manchester City have looked at it and tried in the past and are interested um, but can you get that money from from those two clubs? Um, I think it's harder to get th- those kind of figures in English football than it is at Madrid. Madrid's finances have been carefully managed for this summer and for the acquisition of Mbappe and the the structuring of a new super team around him. They haven't spent much. They've trimmed wage bills. They've moved players out, they're preparing to move other older players out in in the coming summer. They lose Gareth Bale's uh, monster wage this summer. Um, They, I think for an assessment of where they are financially, you just have to look at La Liga salary cap rules, which are the strictest in world football at the moment. And Madrid's salary cap is currently at 739 million euros. They're not using it and they are miles ahead of everyone else um, in the in the division, and and that's a measure of of the kind of headroom they've given themselves to to do these deals. So, I think they are capable of, from a financial perspective, of paying the money Raiola wants. But I don't think Florentino Perez is is ready to do that and will negotiate in a different direction. I did speak to someone very close to Carlo Ancelotti, Duncan, um, and asked a question regarding uh, would Carlo be happy to have both Haaland and Mbappe? And the answer I got was, having spoken to Carlo, he sees priorities. Um, Yes, he knows Mbappe uh, or believes Mbappe is effectively a done deal, but in terms of Haaland... Uh, there are other positions in the team he needs to strengthen uh, and would rather strengthen than have two strikers competing against each other, uh, both of whom want the limelight, both of whom are quite selfish. Uh, certainly Haaland has a reputation for being very selfish uh, on the pitch and not necessarily particularly liked by the majority of his teammates. So from his point of view, that is Ancelotti's. Um, he would prefer not necessarily to have to deal with a Haaland-Mbappe axis, uh, as, as I said at the top of the podcast, the idea of um, Haaland ending up somewhere else uh, with, of course, the financial uh Gains for his dad and his agent and indeed the player himself seem to me to be um, a factor in this and indeed uh, this will play out over the course of the next uh, five to six months uh, during which time we do expect Haaland to leave Borussia Dortmund. I think think one thing... Angelotti might feel that the money should be spent better elsewhere, and I understand why why he would 
feel that, but if he's not prepared to play Haaland and Mbappe together, if Florentino Perez can secure them, then we can expect a new manager at Real Madrid in addition to the two new strikers. Uh, I think Solskjaer's available. I, I can't be absolutely sure, but yeah, <laughs> you could manage it. Um, <laughs> or not manage it, as it were. We talked quite a bit in the last podcast, Duncan, about uh, Newcastle United and the difficulties uh, there have been regarding recruiting a sport director and indeed their recruitment policy for the upcoming window and indeed beyond. Um, Related to that uh, is, again, uh, conversations which we have had here at the Transfer Window podcast regarding the future of Wales captain Aaron Ramsey. Two things are very clear. Uh, His playing time at Juventus has been almost non-existent. His salary at Juventus is also very high. And as a result, Max Allegri and Juventus would like the player to leave. In order to do so, they are willing to facilitate a move out of uh, Serie A for the player or indeed back to another Serie A club if they can get rid of him um, by not asking for a fee. And of course, he's a player they got on a freedom of contract when he left Arsenal. but that Ramsey's wages would be a problem uh, to match for any other club recruiting a player of his age and, again, of his playing time, etc. However, Ramsey is of a mood now that he wants to leave. He wants first-team football. He realises, obviously, that he's the opportunity uh, potentially to play in the World Cup finals with Wales in Qatar. Uh, next December uh, is also the case um, that at the age of 30, a last contract, as it were, at a high level is now a priority. Uh, Juventus, I'm told, are prepared to compensate him for leaving uh, in order to get his wages off the, uh, their particular wage bill. And uh, there, are, there is interest uh, from the Premier League and one of those clubs is Newcastle United, who believe that Ramsey could be a advantageous um, recruit to uh, a team which is obviously struggling and who are desperately trying to save their Premier League status. Um, do you see that as a good fit, Duncan? And would you think that Ramsey would be willing to go to the northeast and play in a team that are fighting relegation? I think it's there's a fit there because Newcastle United have the financial resource to do a deal like this. They need seriously need improvement in midfield. It's one of the priority positions they're looking at. They their preference is for players who can hit the ground running and uh, players obviously who have Premier League experience. So Ramsey is proven, absolutely proven at, at Premier League level. Um, I don't think it would ever be Ramsey's first choice of club, but if that's the best option that comes that is able to satisfy Juventus's financial demands because they want to minimise the the, comp- the um, subsidy that they pay on Ramsey's 
wage going forward. I think he'd be ready to do that in order to get first team football again. I mean, it's he's basically been excluded from the Juventus team this season. He's played seven percent of minutes in Serie A and three percent of minutes in Champions League for them. Um, they tried to move him the summer before last. They tried to move him this past summer. Interestingly, uh, they offered Ramsey to Manchester United in a, what would have been a, a financial fair play swap deal, the kind of thing that they've, they've specialised in in exchange for Nemanja Matic. Um, Matic w- would have been interested in that move if um, Juventus had, had given him a, the, the longer term contract he was looking for, would be interested in playing Serie A, I'm told. But United rejected the deal because they, they didn't feel Ramsey was the right addition for them in midfield, which which kind of puts Ramsey's situation in perspective because if you went back two or three years and Aaron Ramsey had been offered to Manchester United with the kind of midfield requirements they have at present, then he would have been a very viable candidate for that role. But now um, when offered something that could have been a financial solution for them, um, they said, no, thank you. So, yeah, I think this is the kind of deal that Newcastle can intelligently target and use their financial firepower to take advantage of. Um, this is this is the sort of thing that if you want experience and, and ready-made players to keep you in the division, they are the kind of deals that are viable. They might not be the best option, but um, a pretty good option in the circumstances. Speaking uh, to people close to Ramsey, uh, the one question I had, which I thought was very pertinent, was um, does your uh, client uh, contemplate the idea of playing in the championship next season? Uh, Because we know that one man doesn't make a team. And while Ramsey would certainly improve Newcastle United um, immensely in the midfield area, uh, he wouldn't be able to keep them in the division all on his own. Um, so I think there would have to be some kind of clause, a break clause in the contract, which allowed him, uh, if a suitable offer came in, uh, or indeed if they just tore up the contract, for him to um, leave and go to a different club. And I guess that could be a deal breaker for Newcastle because obviously the new owners do not want to feel like they're being insulted or indeed slighted um, by a player who uh, sees them as a stepping stone. uh, And if they fail to realise his ambition to play in the Premier League, that he would simply walk out on them. So I'm guessing that that could be a stumbling block, if not a deal breaker, if they could not negotiate that kind of um, deal which would allow Ramsey the opportunity to leave after just six months at the club um, should Newcastle not survive. The other um, priority position um, that... uh, Newcastle United are looking to augment is in central defence. Clearly, they have a problem leaking goals and um, Eddie Howe uh, has 
I think, conformed to type with regards to deals that he has done in the past. And that is he wants um, an English warrior type centre half. Uh, we understand that James Tarkovsky um, of Burnley is the player he's identified as being his primary target with regards to filling that position. Um, it seems to me that that would make sense. Duncan Tartakovsky, already based in the north of England, uh, also, of course, has broken into the England squad, uh, is a natural leader, uh, would bring certainly a sense of commitment and also decision-making command to a defence which has looked fragile uh, many times uh, already this season. And one of the reasons, of course, one of the main reasons they find themselves in the position they are currently in in the Premier League table um, is how showing a lack of imagination, uh, given that he does have resources available to him, or is he showing a sense of realism in that Tarkovsky, as you have said about Ramsey, could come in and hit the ground running. It's an interesting deal to try and make happen. Go to one of your direct rivals for relegation and take their starting centre-back, even if he has only got a few months left on his contract there. Um, that's a, it's a hard one for Burnley's new owners to sanction um, unless the, the transfer fee is disproportional and uh, and they they have someone immediately available to bring in who can perform at the same level and 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 satisfy Sean Dyche. Um we told you on the last podcast that uh, Newcastle are working hard. Um interestingly Amanda Staveley and and uh, the head of recruitment Steve Nixon in the in the prime positions are working hard to try and convince Sven Botman to join them from Leo um, at the different scale of transfer altogether. You're looking at a, a much younger player with a, a far higher ceiling in terms of his playing ability. Um, it's I think they've been intelligent at, at pursuing Botman because Leo are in desperate need of money and are, I'm told, prepared to sell him for around 25 million euros. So you're getting a value buy there, not particularly well paid at the moment. So again, you can offer um, a, a tempting salary. The problem is, as we said in the last podcast, um, can you convince Botman that that's the right place to further his career when he's been observed by some of the top clubs in Europe and um, drawn serious interest from some of the top clubs in Europe over the over the last year? Um, I think there's an additional complication for Newcastle in that Lille won their Champions League group this week and will therefore be seeded for the, the knockout rounds. Um, my understanding is that Botman is quite happy to spend the rest of this season at Lille, um, have the opportunity to play in the knockout stages of the Champions League. Hopefully, if things go well, impress even more of those suitors and see what is happening in, in the summer. He's not ruled out. Newcastle United, but the guidance I have is he's not neither as he he said. Oh, Newcastle United want to sign me. I'm I'm going to got the opportunity to go to one of the best one of the best funded clubs in the world, and I desperately want that move. There there is a lot of persuasion that will be required if they're going to get Botman in. Is there an argument to say that um, 
and I know that Liverpool have got, you know, a good cachet of centre halves already, and I've been very impressed by Ibrahima Kanate um, so far in his few appearances. But to pair Van Dijk and Botman together seems to me like a very logical and potentially long term solution for Liverpool. And at that price, it's a kind of Fenway Sports Group type purchase. For sure. And and Liverpool have looked at the player um and done quite a lot of work on him. But as you say, they they, they signed Canati in the summer. So if they were to go down the Botman route, you have to ask yourself, do they make a a big change elsewhere? Do they decide to cash in on Joe Gomez, for example? Um, who has not been the same player since suffering injury um, last season. Um, take, you know, accrue the English tax in the sale and and bring Botman in to fight with Kanati for that, that second defensive position. That, I think that would be the calculation. Obviously, you also have at Liverpool um, circumstance where the director of football, Michael Edwards, has announced that he's leaving at the end of the season. You have a, a replacement already identified from within their staff who, who um, although it's very much a continuity appointment, a different person in ultimate control can change some of the shape of, of the transfer activity. But certainly the information I have is on what Liverpool want to do in this window uh, is not focused on on centre backs. It's, it's um, a, a forward, a top quality, quick forward, and also um, looking at potentially midfield re- reinforcement. And additionally, there's an idea that if they get a taker for Divock Origi in this window um, at the right price and an acceptable deal for them, then they would go and get a centre forward of Origi's type to do as Origi has been doing and be that 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 player they they use in certain circumstances and and at moments usually when they they need to rescue games. I was interested to hear um, Jurgen Klopp this week. Duncan talk about um, he sees no reason why Mohamed Salah will not sign a new contract to Anfield, um, but and I quote. It's not like you do these things over a cup of tea. Um, I was told by someone, uh, let's just say, uh, about a Liverpool legend who is in the loop at Anfield, that they would absolutely prioritise Salah and therefore would expect there to be some friction regarding a new contract for Sadio Mane. Um, They've been very pleased with uh, Diego Jota and therefore Mane may well be the sacrificial lamb, if you like, this summer. Um, Again, he is 30 plus. Uh, They could cash in. Uh, His record is um, extremely good. He obviously could still do um, a very, very good job uh, at a very high level as well. And um, as you said, uh, looking for a new striker uh, could mean that Manny would be on his way out uh, 
as long as they could keep Salah, Jota would become a starter. Uh, obviously, Firmino comes into that equation as well, who hasn't had as much game time. I do think we might see um, an evolution of this Liverpool team, which, of course, famously won both the Champions League and the Premier League in the last two seasons. And therefore, uh, Liverpool fans, I imagine, would be uh, surprised almost to see the breakup of that front three. Manny will be 30 next year. Um, the, the strategy has been hit by COVID at Liverpool. The idea was you sell one or both of Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah for huge transfer fees. And the figures they were they were thinking about were 200 million euros for each of them. And you reinvest that money in replacements of a similar type who are younger um, who allow the team to evolve. Now, that, that's been cut away from under them because nobody was able to pay those transfer fees for that age of player. And Salah's position has gone from one in which he's been very actively flirting with Spanish clubs in particular uh, in media interviews to one in when he gives interviews and he says he wants to finish his career at Liverpool, but it's up to Liverpool to make that happen, which is shorthand for, I want to stay, but it's going to take a very, very large sum of money for me to be satisfied at, to commit the next and the last significant stage of, of my career to this club. Um, it's difficult for Liverpool to not give him a contract now, given the way he's performing and given his the, the statements he's making about wanting to stay at the club. If they give him that contract, if they come to terms, he becomes by some margin, the best paid player at the club. And then Sadio Mane says, what about me? So so yes, I think you're right. If that Salah deal is done, then Mane becomes the obvious one that they, they try and get the fee they can get for him and bring this new forward in to replace him. But again, it's it's is there the right offer for Manny from personal point of view, from a financial point of view, from a footballing point of view, and an offer that's happy for Liverpool? It's, it's become far more complicated for them than they expected. I think there was a time when their strategy looked really clever and could have set them up um, with, a, with another big um, chest of, of cash to spend on, on reinvesting in the team and, and the way they achieved after selling Philippe Coutinho. But now, it's that that route isn't accessible to them and as a result they've been landed with this problem of of uh of dealing with new contracts for players who are at the wrong end of the age range in terms of what liverpool's strategy has been um on the playing field and and retaining squad players for almost the entirety of this Jurgen Klopp period at the club So, Duncan, we began the pod discussing um, the possibility of Erling Haaland going to Real Madrid. Um, we also mentioned that we would have to discount the possibility that uh, he would go to Barcelona because of the financial mismanagement and indeed chaos, uh, you could say, at camp now. But you have information regarding how Barca 
are trying under their new manager, Xavi Hernandez, to somehow pull back some of their finances, sell some of the players that are not performing, haven't performed, cost a lot of money, and indeed least plan as best they can to make a serious challenge next season after, of course, this week for the first time in 19 years not making the Champions League knockout stages. Yeah, we, we should just add in what Raiola has said about the, the clubs that, that Haaland can go to because he, he gave that interview this week and um, his comment uh, on the subject of, of clubs was he can and will take the next step. Bayern, Real, Barcelona, City, these are the big clubs he can go to. Um, interesting that he excludes Manchester United from from that and I think that is entirely intentional that he's excluded them um, and interesting that he includes Barcelona in that um, given that Madrid are the ones with the money um, and and we know that um, that Barcelona would like to uh, recruit Haaland so so keep them in play to to work on those negotiations um, with Madrid um, in terms of what Barcelona are trying to do to raise money, uh, I think it's more a sense of of the lack of strategy and the problems they brought upon themselves. One of the the elements here is Usman Dembele. Um, some time ago now that we reported on Manchester United's attempts to sign Usman Dembele, um, which went down to a, a deadline day, um, uh, frantic set of negotiations with Barcelona where they, they actually got an, eventually got an agreement with Barcelona on fee but couldn't get a, an agreement with Dembele on the exact terms of the move because Dembele's agent knew that this summer coming he was going to be a free agent and uh, at that point he would be able to maximise salary and maximise choice of clubs. Uh, there's been a lot of noises coming out of Barcelona about renewing Dembele's contract over the last um, six months. They've they've basically realised that that's not going to happen for the for the reasons I've explained. The agent wants to to take this market opportunity to move him to the club that will pay best and offer uh, a good sporting solution, and uh, and Barcelona must now wait. Um, I think they can hope that, that a deal will be done in January and they get a little bit of transfer fee. But given the way that the agent and the player have acted so far, I think that might end up being a, a forlorn hope. I can tell you that there is a an offer from Juventus um, for the player to come as a free agent in the summer. Um, and there is interest, again, from the, the Premier League. Um, the other player here who is relevant and something that Graham Hunter talked about on uh, last week's podcast is Frankie de Jong. Um, Barcelona do not want to sell him is the, the information I have, but they are open to selling if they receive an exceptional offer for the player um, because they realise that they're going to have to raise money from somewhere in that squad. And there are few players who are either not absolutely essential to their planning um, or have some kind of value to them and De Jong fits that category. Uh, when I asked what what they thought represented an exceptional offer for De Jong, 
um, player that Manchester City have shown interest in the past, um, as have Juventus. The figure that came back to me was 100 million euros. Somehow I think they'll struggle to um, achieve 100 million euros, but having paid around what, 65 to 70 million, um, although of course that money hasn't been paid yet in full um, for the player, then it may well be the case that he is one of the saleable assets who may well allow Xavi some wriggle room um, when it comes to rebuilding his squad. Though those of you, um, and we know there are many, who listened to last week's pod with, uh, with the eminent Mr Hunter will have heard him eulogise about some of the younger players who are making their way into the first-team squad, having graduated from the famous La Masia Academy at Barcelona. Uh, Duncan, just an addendum, I suppose, uh, to um, round up uh, this second podcast of the week. Um, in my role, and I know in talking to you, uh, and your contacts, as in you're talking to your contacts, um, it seems to me that we're going to have the same old, same old with regards to uh, clubs identifying positions and, of course, targets uh, whom they want uh, on their wish list and to sign in January. But here we are, uh, December uh, the 10th, and still no offers have been made and it looks like yet again certainly in the premier league that deals will probably not be done until later in january by which time of course clubs will have lost out on the possibility of playing new signings in numerous matches before that point as well as allowing selling clubs to take advantage of their desperation and therefore pay a premium. Um, will we ever see a proper business model in football where people actually, or I should say people, clubs actually organise themselves properly, do their business early and get the players in at more reasonable prices and with more effectiveness in terms of the sporting part of things, i.e. the manager can play those players from the beginning of January rather than the end of January, beginning of February. I think I think you see it at some clubs. Some clubs are efficient and they, they work the transfer market well and and, and use the resources they have and, and have, have prospered off the back of it. And then you have the clubs that, um, that act in, in an inefficient, illogical manner make mistakes and, and get themselves into trouble in the transfer market. And I think Barcelona are a great example of that. They, they're, their massive debts are a product of, of a series of mistakes in uh, salaries they gave to players, in not uh, increasing buyout clauses in the case of Neymar to uh, an unattainable level. Um, and then responding to the loss of a player like Neymar by by buying Usman Dembele uh, and Philippe Coutinho for wholly excessive sums that have translated into very little end product on the pitch and, and created 
um, years worth of headaches for them. And I, I think, um, and we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think the appointment of Xavi as head coach is another example of, of Barcelona's problems. I think they've gone for a name um, and gone for an image uh, rather than a coach with the depth of certainly experience and, and abilities to turn around the problems they've got. Um, talking to people who, who watched his work in Qatar, um, which is the only place he's coached so far, um, they are very surprised that he's been given a, a club of, of that stature. And, and also note that it's actually his brother who does a great deal of the, the, the training work and the, and the work of being a, a day-to-day coach um, in that managerial team. So it's another example of something that's happening quite a lot in football these days, clubs hiring big name former players who come in and are, you know, welcomed by the supporters and uh, and tolerated. Their failures are tolerated for a longer period of time, but the actual work in the training ground is being done by an assistant rather than the the guy who's who's getting the big salary and uh, and has the the status of of being the manager of of uh, of these super clubs well speaking of big names i know that regular um listeners to the podcast will be as shocked as we are duncan that big sam was not on that list um and firing up the granada or in this case the barca um to get himself to camp now and uh, take over there this is the second podcast uh, from the transfer window this week, and I am delighted to say that we have the return of the Donkey Award. Unless you have been living on the uh, Meteor Nereus, which is due to skim the Earth's atmosphere tomorrow and potentially cause the postponement of football matches at Naming Rights Lane, uh, then. Uh, you will have heard that there has been some controversy regarding the British government and the fact that, yet again, uh, they have been breaking the same COVID rules that they've been setting for the rest of the country in having uh, gatherings um, last this time last year um, where those rules were flaunted and the Prime Minister, of course, had no knowledge whatsoever, despite having attended, allegedly, one of them himself. And so, in the grand tradition of football clubs' Christmas parties, we are going to nominate the Boris Johnson Stroke Conservative Government Christmas Party Award that went wrong. Uh, I have the golden envelope here, Duncan, which I'm just going to open. Give me a second. It's a tough one again. Tell you what, these golden envelopes are getting more difficult. Uh, and our first nomination, Duncan, uh, and of course you will be judging this particular award, is Manchester United's Christmas party in 2007. Uh Infamous because uh, around 100 women were reported to have been, and I quote, handpicked, bust in from around the country to attend the United Christmas Party. Wives and girlfriends of players were banned 
Johnny Evans, uh, then uh, a starting centre back at the club, ended up being um, arrested uh, on suspicion and of alleged rape. All charges were dropped, and we make that very clear. Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, well known for being a jolly Santa Claus, banned all Christmas parties as a result, and there were no Christmas parties at Manchester United uh, until he retired. Uh, and uh, so therefore, that was not the best, perhaps. Uh, the second uh, nomination, Duncan, is uh, across the city, and that's Manchester City's Christmas party of 2004. Infamous, that has to be said, uh, because Joey Barton, um, our old friend who uh, is no stranger to controversy nor violence, uh, stubbed a lit cigar into the eye of one of the uh, younger teammates, Jimmy Tandy, and uh, Barton had been putting cigar holes in other players' jackets when Tandy dared to return the favour, uh, and Barton decided, I'm not going to put a cigar hole in your jacket, I'm going to put it in your eye. And third, but certainly uh, not least, um, uh, you may have heard of this club, Duncan, uh, Glasgow Celtic. Uh, they had parties in 2001 and 2002 when manager Neil Lennon uh, let his players have a few drinks uh, to celebrate the festive season and uh, risked being accused of being a hypocrite because at the 2001 party, Lennon got so drunk he smashed his head on a curb and ended up in medical care. A year later, in 2002, the squad headed to Newcastle and Lennon, along with three others, ended up in police custody. Lennon was, was released early, but Swedish international Johan Miabli, Belgian international Yusuf Alharen had to spend the night in the slammer, along with... Dutch winger Bobby Petter, who was affectionately known as Sex Toy uh, amongst the Celtic players. Um, <laughs> if you know what a Bobby Petter is, then you'll get that joke. So, Duncan, um, either two Manchester clubs, uh, one of those, or Celtic, who gets the Boris Johnson Award for a Christmas party that went Pete Tong? Um, well, they can try the Boris Johnson tactic and, and claim that uh, that nothing happened at any of the parties and the party didn't even happen at I, all. I think you'll find that they, but, they did actually uh, do that, yeah. That's is normal. <laughs> but it's, I think since it's a Christmas donkey, I, I, for the first time we shall give all three candidates um, a, a golden statue in which to, to remember the nights. Sounds good to me. I think actually we will wrap them in tinsel as well around their necks the golden statues that is not the sex toys um and we shall send them off to each of our nominations uh it is the festive season as we said therefore um we are happy to uh, be giving out presents to um our famous footballers who perhaps just went a little bit over the top 
when it came to their Christmas parties. This has been the news before it becomes news. And we will be back with you again next week uh, with more of the same. Please engage with us on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Duncan is at Duncan Castles. I am at Garbo SJ. Please search for us on YouTube at Transfer Window Podcast. Until next week. Stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.